Hello, and welcome to the West Connect podcast, where we help ensure that student athletes are successful on and off the field. Today, I'm excited to speak with Ryan Hendrickson. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing terrific. Thank you for making the time for us. Um, would love to kick things off by hearing about how you found yourself at, at Wesleyan, because it was it was not a straight line based on our, our pre-call conversation. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when I, I look at the journey that got me onto uh, to campus at Wesleyan, uh, ultimately it was a function of uh, the high school that I went to, uh, Pingree School, which was a small day school uh, about 30 miles north of Boston. Um, my hockey coach there was actually a Wesleyan alum, and so uh, he had coached at my high school for about 25 years, but uh, the coach that he had when he was at Wesleyan uh, was still the coach of Wesleyan and they had a great relationship. And uh, as my, my hockey coach from high school famously says, I was the first uh, student that, or first athlete that he had that was a good enough student academically, uh, but also a good enough player athletically uh, to be able to, to follow in his footsteps. And it took him 25 years for that to happen. So uh, he advocated pretty strongly for me uh, with the, the you know, coach who had coached him uh, you know, 25 years prior. Uh, and, uh, and so that's ultimately where I, I had my uh, opportunity to you know, first be introduced to Wesleyan as a, an opportunity. And you know, as I, I learned more about the school in terms of the academic opportunities, as well as uh, where I would fit in athletically, it was that perfect fit of a really, really good school uh, that would challenge me and, and help you know, launch my future uh, from an academic perspective, but also, you know, hockey wise, I was probably going to be able to fit in where I, I'd at least know, you know I was going to have a spot on the team for four years. Uh, and more importantly, I'd have an opportunity to play uh, a significant amount, which uh, I think mattered a lot to me because I have a lot of friends that, you know, focused on wanting to go D1 to be able to tell their friends that they were in D1. And then they sat up in the stands for you know, a couple of years and they transferred around from school to school. So when I look back on, on you know, how I made the decisions and, and the advice that I had from my parents, I think it was uh, really good guidance to focus on stepping stones and how do I leverage uh, the success that I had up to that point athletically to be able to have some academic opportunities that, that ultimately could uh, you know, help me for the rest of my life once I, I graduated. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, a, a powerful <laughs> lesson for a lot of folks uh, in terms of that kind of D3, D1 dichotomy. Um, and so once you kind of found yourself at, at school, um, what, what was the experience like being on the hockey team? And then what was the academic focus for you? Yeah, so it was uh, it was an interesting transition for me, honestly, because I went from growing up in a very small town to going to a very small uh, day school. And then all of a sudden, like I think a lot of people, I was thrown into a, a university environment. And um, so I think, you know, when I, when I look at the transition academically, uh, my assumption was that I was not going to be one of the smart kids, even though, you know, I'd always done well in school. Um, but I still remember sitting in uh, the the uh, information session when my my dad and I went to the school to check it out and I remember the the dean of admissions saying that we could easily fill a, a class of kids who have perfect SAT scores and are valedictorians and I still remember looking at my dad saying you know what are we doing here I, I was definitely not uh, perfect SAT scores and I wasn't the valedictorian and so I went in uh, with a little bit of an insecurity of just assuming that I was not going to be one of the smart kids and not really knowing exactly how I would fit in uh, in the classroom. Uh, but 
I, like most things in life, I, I use that as fuel. And one of the things that always has driven me is this uh, a fear of failure. I feel like if I'm giving an up, given an opportunity, the last thing I want to do is look back on it and feel like I didn't give it my best. So uh, when I, I finished my first semester at Wesleyan, I remember my, my GPA was a 3.86. It might have been my best uh, GPA for a, a semester, but I at least built uh, enough confidence from working hard in that first semester to be able to feel like, okay, I, I can belong in this environment. And uh, I'm smart enough that if I work hard, uh, I can I can do fine academically. And then athletically, I felt pretty similar in terms of just not really knowing exactly where I would fit in. Uh, the other uh, uh, freshman class that was recruited in, there was a, a, a good portion of a, the uh, new freshmen came from Exeter. And I remember my senior year in high school, we played Exeter and I think we lost something like eight to one. So I again went into it with this mindset of, okay, well, you know, we just got absolutely smoked by this school and now I'm going to be, you know, competing for spots on the team with other kids who, uh, you know, clearly were, were better than, than my team was in high school. And so, uh, again, with a little bit of that, you know, not really knowing exactly where I would stand, being a smaller kid that was also, you know, a, a, in my freshman year, I was even more undersized than I was by the time I graduated. Um, so I definitely went into Wesleyan with uh, an excitement, but also, uh, you know, some, uh, I guess questions in the back of my mind were, you know, where was I exactly going to fit in? Um, and I think one of the things that that was, you know, great about uh, the the opportunity I had with with uh, we had a new coach my freshman year is he really wanted to give our, the younger guys on the team an opportunity. And so, fortunately for me, I was a coachable player. I, I had, a, I'd say, a, a somewhat versatile skill set where I was a, a good two way forward. Uh, I was good, sound in the defensive zone. So I found myself having good opportunities, uh, you know, right from the beginning of my Wesleyan career, uh, you know, playing a lot on the penalty kill, having some opportunity on the power play and, and really just being in the regular rotation of one of the top lines uh, from the very beginning. So if I look back, let's say at the end of my first hockey season, I would have said, oh, academically I fit in and athletically I fit in. But when I stepped onto campus, uh, I probably was not in that same exact mindset. So there was a, a bit of a prove it to yourself uh, phase of, of adjusting to college. And what about on the academic side? What was the main focus, um, your major, et cetera? Yeah, so I was an economics major. I always wanted to do something business related. Um, I was fortunate to have a couple of uncles who started businesses when they were relatively young. So uh, business entrepreneurship was always something that I was interested in. Um, at, you know, a liberal arts school, the best major I thought for that was to, to focus on economics. So uh, I, a lot of my classes were economics. I did plenty of math classes, a lot of them statistics focused. Um, but that was, uh, that was really, you know, from day one being on campus without having any idea what I wanted to do when I grew up and what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, uh, economics, mathematics, those were the, the uh, areas that I was really focusing on. Got it. Um, and, you know, as we transition here from kind of your academic athletic experience at Wesleyan into the, into the professional realm, what did that journey look like for you? Um, what did your first job uh, entail and how did you land it? Yeah, so uh, another similar story of saying, yes, I'm going to go do something and not really knowing exactly what it was going to look like and definitely having some second thoughts. But 
Uh, kind of the, the short version is uh, between my junior and senior year at Wesleyan, I did a, a program up at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth called the Bridge Program. And the idea is to bridge the gap between a liberal arts degree and the business world. And I had a friend who did it. He, he raved about the experience. And so I believe it was a six-week program. And while I was there, I interviewed with a, a handful of employers. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do at that point. I wasn't sure uh, you know, what was the next chapter of my life going to look like. But while I was at that program, I interviewed with a representative from a financial services firm, and she talked to me about the idea of becoming a financial advisor. And she said, look, you know, do you, uh, are you good at math? And I was an analytical person who was skilled at, at solving problems. And so I said, yeah. And she said, well, are you good at building relationships? I said, I think so. I think I, I build trust and I, I build good relationships with people. She said, do you like the idea of growing something? And, and uh, you know, starting a business. I said, yeah. So it kind of checked all the boxes of things that, at least on the surface, I felt like were were things that were in my wheelhouse. And so, you know, I went through a couple of rounds of interviews, ended up uh, accepting the job September of my senior year. So I essentially spent my entire uh, senior year at Wesleyan knowing what I was going to be moving on to uh, as a, you know, starting a career as a financial advisor and really a, a commission only eat what you kill world. Um, and, you know, at that point, I had accepted the job without really knowing what's the difference between a stock and bond, uh, not necessarily having a, a Rolodex of people that I knew were going to sign up as clients immediately. So it was one of those phases, again, similar to that transition of adjusting to college where moving into my first career, I remember having, you know, sleepless nights just being like, what am I doing? I, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. And I'm starting a business. It's a, you know, it's a commission only environment. And so you had some of that that second guessing, but again, for me, my fuel, my motivation has always been with this fear of failure. So I felt like, well, look, you have the opportunity, you've got to give it your best and just put your head down for a couple of years and then pick your head up and see where you are. And uh, so, you know, fortunately, and, and we can get into some of the lessons that I think athletics has taught, but, you know, one of the biggest things that I think a a athletics has and this is, you know, from a young age, uh, has just instilled in me is the idea of, hey, you're going to get knocked down plenty, um, but the idea is you just have to get back up, and I think that athletics can build a confidence so that you trust yourself to get back up, and you, uh, you know, when you, when you know that, that giving it your best typically ends up with a good outcome, I think it makes it easier for you just to, to trust in the process. And, and so, you know, I think that in, in a lot of different instances in my life, that has been, um, you know, an important skill set of just get back up, you know, you, even when you get knocked down and just give it your best and trust that, that the outcome is going to follow. And, you know, fortunately for me, knock on wood, that's, that's worked out pretty well for me. And in my career, that was definitely the case, even though there were plenty of really, really long days early on as, you know, trying to grow a business when I really had no clue what I was doing. Uh, I was 22 years old. I probably looked like I was 18. Uh, I had no money in my savings account and I was trying to tell people what to do with their savings. And so that's not exactly the easiest thing in the world. Um, but, you know, again, just just trusting in the process, being willing to, to handle some rejection and uh, handle getting knocked down along the way. Um, but, you know, just continue to persevere and, and trust that long term vision. Yeah, that's that echoes a lot of what we hear in these conversations. Don't be afraid of, of failure, especially earlier in your career. That's kind of uh, uh, reminiscent of athletics being a quote unquote kind of safe place to fail where, you know, the repercussions are are not as <laughs> potentially uh, impactful as in the business environment and professional career-wise. Um, so after you took that leap, after you took that, that next step into the unknown, um, 
what did the the next phase of your professional development look like? Yeah, so the first you know handful of years, I, I was uh, you know working kind of on my own, trying to grow a client base, and was you know marginally successful. I, everybody in my environment said, "Oh, this is perfect. You're really good at this, and and you'll be successful." But when I looked at my W twos and my paychecks. Uh, it wasn't always feeling like I was uh, I was knocking the cover off the ball, um, but you know very very similar to what we were just talking about in in you know being okay with failing. I felt like the best time for me to take a huge risk in my life was when I had uh, limited responsibility, and so you know the the best time for me to be able to take on the risk of a commission only environment where I wasn't really sure if it was going to be something where uh, there was any type of security that five years later I was going to continue to be in that position. I felt like, well, the best time to do this is when I'm not married. I don't have children. I don't have a mortgage because I can afford to fail um, where, you know, there's a lot of people that want to get into my industry. But the problem is, is if they wait until their mid thirties, forties, fifties, it just becomes a much more challenging environment to transition into because uh, you know, at that point, you have real meaningful responsibilities and you can't afford to take on that huge risk. So uh, I think just kind of circling back to what you were saying before, uh, the best time, in my opinion, to fail was early. And that was the best time to take a risk. And you know, so if you're looking at the first job out of college, I probably wouldn't go for the one that offers the most security. I would I would go with the one that offers the most opportunity. And that's where you just need to trust in yourself and work hard to be able to uh, you know, uh, uh, execute against that opportunity. Um, but then, you know, as, as I, I you know, continue to grow my business, um, I was tapped on the shoulder a couple of years in to run the new advisor program at the company. And so uh, kind of the long story short is, is because of the financial crisis, the firm got away from hiring any new advisors. But what they realized is that the new advisors would allow them to be able to train people on what's their process, what's their philosophy, and also make sure that they uh, are maintaining the culture of the firm. So they wanted to get back into uh, new uh, training and development for new advisors. And so I was tapped on the shoulder as one, one of four people across the country to really pilot and build out this program. Uh, and you know, when I look back on what it did for me financially in that you know, 12 to 18 months that I was in that role, it wasn't a huge reward, um, but when I think about what it did in terms of developing my career, it was uh, arguably the, the most important 12 years of my, or sorry, 12 months of my life um, because I was able to get visibility with people at the absolute top of the organization. So from the CEO and the president down, we were having regular conversations. Um, it was, uh, uh, I think, a sweet spot for me because I think I, I'm, I'm always good at that environment of, of solving a problem and, and tackling a, a challenge that nobody really knows exactly how we want to solve it. And so I've always been good in that collaborative team environment of how do we, how do we build something out and solve a problem? Um, but I think more importantly than that, in terms of some of the local relationships that I was able to build, my boss at the time was my now business partner and the other person who was heavily involved in building out this program uh, is one of my other business partners today. So that, that 12 to 18 months was one where uh, you know, we worked incredibly hard. We had some really nice success. I won uh, an award for the, within the company for the, the role that I had in building out this program. And we experienced some good success. And I even look back at the program today. And even though I've switched firms, uh, the program's still in a good spot. And I feel like it's a lot of the, the hard work and the foundation that we built. Um, but those relationships that I built and the credibility that I had of being kind of a, a, a you know, successful person who, uh, you know, had an a important skill set allowed me to be able to now have the partnership I have today because 
ultimately I was tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, you know, let's go build a, a, a business and you know, we can get into the specifics of that in a little bit more detail. But it was because of the work that I did in that uh, uh, building of the new advisor program. And I think that's another one of those examples where sometimes the right decision isn't the one that's going to have the biggest monetary payout in the short term. And that's where you really need to be thinking a little bit more about delayed gratification, what's your long-term vision. And I think that's another thing that you get from sports. You know, Sports is a, a perfect example where a lot of times the hard work that you're putting in is not going to pay dividends overnight. It's going to pay dividends over an extended period of time. And you know, if you can be doing the you know, power skating and, and the you know, stick handling camps and the shooting camps and all those things when you're young, that's what's going to make it so that 10, 15 years later, uh, you know, you're playing college hockey while the kids that weren't doing that were, are, are you know, not, uh, not achieving that level of success. And so um, I think when I look at my career, one of the big things was that I always was just willing to accept the level of delayed gratification, put my head down, trust the process. And, uh, and you know, hopefully I, I would wake up, you know, three years out, five years out, and I'd put myself in a good position. Uh, and, and fortunately, that's worked out really well for me over time. One of the things that I, I want you to to maybe unpack a little bit more is you mentioned that your boss became your business partner. And that's something that we talk a lot about on these conversations of when you enter into the professional realm, you know, uh, the stratification of kind of junior, senior, freshman, it, it doesn't matter as much on the age level. And anybody that you interact with on a professional level could one day be your colleague or somebody that hires you, or you could hire that person. And building those relationships is, is incredibly important. So how did that transition happen from kind of boss to, to colleague business founder with you? Yeah, so um, I, I think a lot of it was, I've always been a coachable person. So, you know, if I was to, you know, talk to my coach that I had for hockey when I was 10 years old or my high school hockey coach or my college hockey coach, I think they would all say that I was the type that, uh, you know, if you told me to do something, I did my best to do it. I paid attention to the details. Uh, I was a cerebral hockey player. And, and so I think in business, I am a coachable person, meaning it's, it's not my way or the highway. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, I think I'm a good team player. And so because of that, when I was asked to step into this role, my boss at the time was somebody who was phenomenally successful, very impressive, uh, and we didn't have a great personal relationship, but I had known him and he was somebody that I looked up to as a, a professional. Uh, and so early on in that relationship, I just tried to absorb as much information as possible. And, um, but then again, I, I never like to feel like I'm the weakest person on the team. And so because of that, I was always trying to use that as fuel to get better. And how do I improve? And not in a competitive way of, you know, how do I make myself more successful than my boss? But it was, you know, if, if he's impressive and I look up to him, well, how do I try to emulate a lot of his skills and talents and, um, you know, and, and develop myself so that I'm equally as impressive? And that was kind of that, that fuel early on. But I think even more than that, um, what he and I were able to realize very shortly in our relationship was that we always had a similar vision. We always knew you know, where the industry was going and, and how we thought about solving problems within the industry. So we always came to the same answer but we approached it in two very different ways. Um, there's a book called Rocket Fuel, and, and it talks about how at the top of a lot of organizations, you have people that have 
one of two skill sets. It's either the visionary. So this is the idea person. This is the person that's the driver. They're the inspiring person. They say, you know, we're going to take it to the mountaintop and follow my lead. And, and, and they're that, that person that uh, the sky is the limit. And then you have the person that's the integrator. And that's the person that's the how. So if the visionary defines what we're going to do, the integrator defines how we're going to do it. And so my business partner was much more of that visionary that, that think big, think grand, uh, you know, we're going to take this to the mountaintop and we're going to be phenomenally successful. And I was much more of that person that said, okay, well, let's determine how we're going to do it. And I can tend to be a little bit more methodical in my thinking. And so we, we realized solving a completely different problem than what we solve today. We realized that we had incredibly uh, complementing skill sets, but then in addition to that, we were both really hardworking people. So he, he inspired me because uh, he had a couple of young children at home, and yet, you know, I was the first person he'd call in the morning, the last person he'd call at night. And even though I didn't have children and I wasn't married at the time, uh, I was just kind of in awe of the fact that he was so hardworking. But he also appreciated the fact that I was willing to burn a candle and put in long hours because we were trying to build something pretty successful. And again, I wasn't doing it with this immediate gratification of what the dollars were going to be in my pocket. It was really with the idea of how do we build something that. Uh, we can look back on and point to to say, well, we were a, a huge part of that and knowing that that would help, uh, you know, fuel our career. So uh, I think in a, in a lot of ways, there was a, a mutual respect that was built from both of us just being really hardworking people with a similar vision, being cerebral. And also, I think, you know, one of the, the books that I, I love um, talks about le leading up the chain of command. It's, uh, it's, it's a book called Extreme Ownership. And so they, they talk about the, the most successful leaders are not ones that just lead down the chain of command and tell people what to do, but more importantly, the most effective leaders are ones that can lead up the chain of command. So knowing when to speak up, knowing when to pack, to, to bring a new idea, but not just throwing out an idea. If you're, if you're gonna throw out a, a new strategy, it needs to be well thought out and you need to put uh, some, some real time and energy into the strategic thinking behind it and have some good uh, reasoning for it. And so. Uh, I think that was probably an instance where, you know, without going into you know, specific details uh, of, of times when I did this, I think I've led up the chain of command pretty well, where I was willing to provide, you know, uh, uh, you know essentially my opinion on, on what I thought we could do to solve the problem. And then I was willing to get behind it and execute it. So I think a lot of those things combined together were the reasons why my business partner today said, hey, look. I want to start a business. I want to, to you know, make a change in my career where I can have a little bit more control and a little bit more flexibility. And his children were getting a little bit older. He didn't want to continue to be on, on kind of the, the corporate America uh, hamster wheel of feeling like every year you, you wake up, the company gives you your goals and, and you have to go execute in, against the goals. And then a year later, you have nothing to show for the work that you did. He really wanted to, to make a move into uh, being in, in a little bit more control, starting his own business and having that control. But he said, you know, there's only one person I'd start a business with and it's you. Uh, and I think it was because of a lot of the work that we had done prior to that, that was again, solving a very different problem. Um, but we realized that together we'd be able to, to solve something pretty successful. And let's talk a little bit about taking that leap of faith and starting the company. You had experienced success, doing well at a well-established firm. Um, taking on more responsibility. What did that thought process look like for you to take that risk, start your own firm? Um, and, you know, how did you think through who to surround yourself with? 
Yeah, it's kind of a funny story because um, <laughs> I can be a very deliberate thinker. Uh, if I don't feel like we understand how to solve a problem, I will pump the brakes and be very, very slow on moving forward until I feel like we have either you know the, the information that we need or the resources we need to solve a problem. And so this is one of those instances in my life where I was very different from that. So uh, the long story short is we were, uh, my, my now business partner and I were out in, in uh, at the home office for the prior company we worked with. And we were doing a training for all of the new advisors across the company. And we were having a, a beer late at night. And he said, I have to tell you something and you can't tell anybody. He said, you know, I'm, I'm looking to make a change. And uh, with that change uh, comes me stepping down from my position and potentially leaving the firm. And, you know, I want to talk to you about being a part of it. And within 30 seconds of him talking to me about what he was thinking, I said, all right, I'm on board. And he was totally shocked because he's, he was used to me being the type that would ask a bunch of questions and really want to make sure I understood the details before I made that type of, of decision. But the reality is, is I had already thought about it for the 12 months that he and I worked together. We had thought about, you know, where's the industry going? We thought about uh, how he and I worked well together. And so by the time that the idea was essentially presented in front of me, it wasn't a question of, well, you know, let me think about it because I'd already done all of the analysis to know that we'd be able to do something pretty phenomenal together. Uh, and, you know, so that, that was one of those instances in my life where I made the decision very, very quickly. Um, but I think it was because I'd already been solving that problem uh, for a, a period of time and, and essentially being able to, to know when the opportunity was presented that I'd be ready to make the move forward. But the funny part of it, too, is that I, I then flew home. He and I are sitting on the plane and we're you know, going through and, and developing a business plan and looking at Excel spreadsheets of you know, forecasting of, of you know, what could the, the first 12 months, 18 months, 24 months look like. And I got home and it was probably about midnight. My, my wife is a, a good sleeper. She goes to bed relatively early. And so uh, I got home and uh, <laughs> she was sleeping and, and I, I had to wake her up because I was just, it was one of those things that I just needed to talk to her. I said, hey, uh, look, um, there's a, a bit of a change career-wise. I, I think I'm going to change from my current role, probably leave the company, start a business. Here's why we're going to do it. And she was, you know, still half asleep. And she says, well, what are you talking about? I thought things were going really well for you. And I said, no, they aren't. And she's like, but like every day that I talk to you, you talk about how, you know, at the current company, you continue to, to grow and your brand is growing like crazy. And, and you have, you know, all of these new opportunities and, and people that are recognizing the work that you're doing. Why would you leave all of that behind? And, you know, I started to try to explain to her the real reasons, but the real reasons were kind of detailed. She didn't necessarily know my business as well as I would know my business. I just kind of took a step back and I said, Hey, look, do you trust me? And she said, of course. I said, look, I'm not going to do anything silly. Any time in my life I've ever taken a leap of faith and I, I've, I've put myself in an environment where there's a, a little bit of an unknown. The one thing I know is that I'll work as hard as I need to to make this thing work. And so we're going to make this thing work. And she said, okay. And, you know, then it was again, one of those nights where I then laid in bed saying, what did I do? Why am I, you know, <laughs> why am I taking on this new risk? And what does this all entail? And how are we going to solve this? And I had some of that 
you know, immediate self-doubt, but then that similar cycle that I've always gone through is, all right, well, you know, how do I fuel this to, to try to make me, uh, uh, you know, as good as I can possibly be? And, and you know what, you got a big problem in front of you, but uh, you got to go solve that problem. And, and it's going to come with a lot of long hours, but it's also going to come with, you know, just getting back on the horse. And, and, you know, even when you make mistakes and you face new challenges that you didn't even know were going to be presented in front of you, how do you just continue to, uh, you know, make sure that you're moving forward and, and, and essentially not accept failure. And so, um, you know, I think that was essentially how uh, a lot of it came together. And, and, you know, we, we had to do a lot of due diligence in terms of, you know, what was that business plan really going to look like? Uh, but the reality is, is we, we knew enough to be able to trust each other uh, and, and, you know, trust the vision that we had for the industry. And, and we felt, you know, pretty confident that we'd be able to do something significant from there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not easy decision to make. And there's obviously a lot that goes into it. And how has that process been for you? Um, starting your own firm, you know, embracing that entrepreneurship, any lessons learned or advice that you could give to others who might be on a similar path? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the path, if you look at it strictly from the outside looking in would be one of incredible, uh, you know, year over year growth and what would look to be a relatively smooth, smooth ride. I mean, we went from, uh, when I left my prior firm, I was managing about a hundred million dollars uh, in asset center management, which was a, a, a good milestone to get to in our industry. A lot of advisors kind of focused on that. So I was about seven, eight years into my career and felt like I'd had a, a you know, pretty good level of success. And so in the last five years since we've left, we've now taken that base that we started with of 100 million. We're now up to, it's just shy of two and a half billion dollars. And the funny part about it is that I feel like the growth hasn't even really started. I feel like a lot of the work that we've done laying the groundwork and getting us to this point will allow us to be able to grow so much faster than we have um, uh, over the past five years. And so, um, you know, on the outside looking in and you just see that type of, of growth of 100 million to 500 million, 500 million to a billion, a billion to two billion, two to two and a half. And, and what will continue to be that, that hockey stick example of just seeing that exponential growth moving forward um, it, it probably looks very easy, uh, but you know the reality is, is the journey that it took for us to get here uh, was not all that easy. We made tons of mistakes. We skinned our knees over and over and over. Uh, we were entrepreneurs who uh, I think were skilled in, in, or we'll say talented entrepreneurs, meaning I think we had the right uh, DNA for it, but we didn't know all the answers. We were going into uncharted territory every single day and so we made tons of mistakes along the way. Uh, we had plenty of really, really, really challenging environments. I mean, I remember times where I was uh, a couple of days away from getting married and I had to be transferring money to back into the business account for my personal accounts to make payroll for everybody else. At that point, I wasn't even taking a paycheck for myself. Uh, and so we have a lot of those typical entrepreneurial uh, experiences where even when you have a business that experiences significant growth and significant success, uh, it's not because it was easy. There's plenty of really, really challenging times uh, along the way. And that's another one of those instances where I, I keep going back to some of the lessons that I learned from athletics and you know, just being able to trust your long-term vision 
and being okay with with some level of failure, but you know, trying to make sure that you're you're constantly trying to improve and get better every single day. Uh, and you know, it's funny we're five years in. We've experienced a, a nice level of success, and in, in many respects, I feel really proud of the business that we've built. And yet, on a day-to-day basis, more often than not. I'm frustrated at the problems that we haven't solved. I'm frustrated that we're not bigger than we are. Uh, and, and I think that comes back to just being a competitive person and uh, never being complacent and never settling for a, a level of success when you know that you could probably do even bigger and, and even better than you've done up to this point. And so that, that's the fuel that will, will keep us moving forward and keep us growing. Uh, but it's a, a lot of those typical entrepreneurial stories where uh, you know, two weeks in, we, we had a lawsuit because one of our employees got in a car accident and we didn't have the right type of insurance. And you know, there's just so many different examples of, of times where it was like some really, really, really bad days, uh, you know, going through an SEC audit for nine months. That's not a fun experience. So, you know, in a, in a five year period, we've seen really good growth and our business is in a great spot. Uh, but there were plenty of long days and, uh, and, and we have plenty of, uh, of battle wounds to, to, you know, to show for it. Yeah. And as we talk about on the show a lot, stereotypes and cliches, especially sports cliches exist for a reason because they are applicable to the real world, especially within the business community itself. And so I hear a lot of those um, in your story and your narrative. Um, As we kind of um, go to the the current time, could you talk a little bit more about um, how you use that experience being a student athlete at school and the Wesley network in general to achieve the success that you've had and arrive at the space that you are today? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the, you know, the athletic examples I've, I've given a a fair amount of those characteristics that you just develop, um, you know, the, the, you know, willingness to fail, the, the delayed gratification, um, you know, being coachable, um, being a good teammate, all of those are things that literally every single day I'm, I'm having to uh, apply within my business, whether that's for myself. Um, but I think the other part that, that athletics really made a significant impact for me was just in becoming a better leader. Uh, so when I think about you know, my experience growing up, I felt like I was always the captain of the team, but I was never the most talented or the best player on the team. But I was always that quiet leader, that person that just did the little things uh, and tried to, to lead by example. But that wasn't something that I was just born with. A lot of that was were, were things that I was taught and groomed along the way by being an athlete. And so I think within my company now, you know, we have about 60 people that are tied to the company. And, uh, you know, a lot of days my job is to be able to you know, sometimes give people the carrot, sometimes give people the stick, meaning, you know, how do you lead the people that are around you? Some people are going to be motivated by reward and, and uh, you know, you need to understand what's going to fuel them. Some people, you know, will need a, a you know, a little bit more of a, a kick in the butt to get going. And so um, those are, are things that, you know, being able to play sports and being a teammate and, and having a lot of different uh, people that, that I, I shared the ice with and you know, even playing other sports shared the field with, I think what you realize is how do you become an effective leader by not just having one style and not just having one approach, um, but really being able to understand the people that you're surrounded by and what's going to get them uh, most charged up and most fueled and where are they going to have the most success. Uh, and that's one of those things that, that 
literally every single day, I have to be putting on my leadership hat of, okay, well, you know, this person needs some guidance. They need some, some uh, motivation. But what's the right way? What's the right approach for me to be able to do that? Um, and, and, you know, so I think that's uh, an important part of it. I think in terms of the networking component, uh, I think there's a, a lot of components where just networking in general and just building relationships was uh, really powerful for me. I, I was uh, talking to a, a client the other day. Uh, this is a client who I've had for over 10 years at this point um, and somebody that I have a really good relationship with. But this was somebody that when I was in high school and my first couple of years of college, I had as an in, I was an intern for his company. So this was another one of those examples of me being very, very junior on the totem pole, working alongside somebody who had experienced a lot of success, um, but building that relationship through uh, hard work, being coachable, being a sponge uh, for the the advice that they could offer. And now, you know, I, uh, 10 years later, I've, I've been working with um, him and his family and as their advisor and, and you know, building their uh, their overall wealth and, and they're getting closer to retirement. They're about to be able to experience a lot of the good things that, that um, we have been working towards for a long period of time. But that was relationship building. That was me just being comfortable, uh, you know, talking to people who in many instances were decades older than me and, and had experienced a level of success when I didn't even really know what success was. And so, um, you know, I think for, for anybody that's either still in school or shortly out of school, don't be intimidated by asking people for advice. The, the best thing you can do is try to find the most successful people that you know, the people that you feel like you look up to and, and uh, have the most respect for, and then learn their story. Learn the advice and the guidance that they would provide for you and realize that there's a lot of people out there that have experienced success that want to help others, uh, you know, because the fact is being, you know, in your early 20s and not really knowing what you want to do for the rest of your life is a very, very common problem. And so even the most successful people in the world have, have lived through that phase. And so they want to be able to help you, uh, you know, try to be able to define your vision and give you some guidance and advice along the way. So, you know, my, my biggest piece of advice for anybody that's in that situation is don't be quiet. Don't assume that somebody's too busy. Don't assume that somebody is unwilling to talk to you. If there's somebody that you think that, that uh, you could learn a lot from, uh, raise your hands, speak up, ask for help, ask for advice. The reality is if you get shut down, well, there's going to be somebody else that you're with that, that uh, it will be willing to talk to you. And so uh, that's, again, that, that you know, just perseverance uh, characteristic. But uh, to me, I think that's a, a huge part. It's, it's realized that the people that have been successful most of them are looking to pay it forward. Most of them are, are uh, very willing to provide guidance and advice, but take the approach seriously. Come prepared, have real questions. Uh, you know, if you have follow-up questions, spend some real time thinking through, uh, you know, what are the, the action items that you wanna be able to, to move on from? So don't just, you know, show up with a blank sheet of paper and say, what do I need to do to be successful? Or what do I need to do to get a job? Uh, be very intentional and in, 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 uh, disciplined around making sure that you're maximizing that time, but definitely do not hesitate to reach out to people who are significantly older than you and significantly more successful that, uh, than you uh, if there's an opportunity for them to be able to help you out. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to follow that advice. I think it's very sound. And before we finish up here, we'd like to shift a little bit into an informational interview. If there are people listening who are interested in being in the wealth management financial advisory space, what is the day-to-day 
uh, look like for you? Obviously, you're managing a pretty big organization, but but what does that profession look like if people are interested in pursuing it? Yeah, so th there's a couple of different ways that somebody can get into our industry, um, and, and I can go into that in a little bit of detail, but um, when you think about what does it mean to be a financial advisor, everybody has their own style, everybody has their own philosophy to some extent, but really in today's day and age, uh, most clients are looking for financial planning and investment management. So when it comes to financial planning, they want to have somebody that can help them with that strategic vision. So defining, you know, where do you want to be 10, 20, 30 years from now? What are the primary goals and objectives that you have? Is it retirement, educating your children? Uh, is it transferring wealth to future generations? Um, but the, the financial planning component is something that is becoming much, much more common in our industry. If you go back 30, 40 years ago, most people that were a financial advisor were a stockbroker. So they were saying, you know, here's what to buy, here's what to sell, and here's why. Um, I think nowadays that more comprehensive and holistic approach is becoming uh, much more common. And, and I think clients, because of the complexity of people's goals and how just the life has evolved, I think that's put everybody in a spot where they realize that they, they need to be working with somebody that is taking that more comprehensive look and has more of that strategic uh, oversight of, of their overall financial situation. Um, but at the same time, investment management is incredibly important. You know, we, we always say that you can't just do financial planning well, because in the financial plan, it has expected rate of return and expected volatility. And so if you can't manage against those things effectively, the plan will fall apart. So um, the investment management side is, is you know, where, uh, you know, for the, the more analytical and, and quantitative driven people, uh, you can really uh, have a little bit more fun in, in you know, doing a lot of different research and studying on uh, asset allocation and security selection. And so for me, on a day-to-day -day basis, a lot of what I do is, is really running our business, but I do uh, still have a couple dozen clients that I work very closely with. And that's where I'm, I'm focusing on the financial planning and investment management side of, uh, of managing their financial life. And I think it's, a, it's an incredible career for people that uh, want to be able to make a big difference in people's lives, really enjoy building relationships, uh, people that enjoy solving problems, um, and then people that are comfortable having a scoreboard. You know, I, I think to me, the, the biggest reason why I got excited about that, the job early on was I didn't want to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, I didn't want to be in a situation where I was hired into corporate America, where you had 25 other people that were hired for the same position. And two years later, two of those people would get the promotion. Um, but you didn't really know where you stood along the way. I liked the idea of, of being able to always know where I stood relative to my peers, that would challenge me to you know, be more, you know, the, the competitive side of me, that would challenge me to, uh, to, to be more successful. So I think those are some of the qualities that, that ultimately you need to have if you wanna be um, effective as a financial advisor in the wealth management business. Um, if you are somebody that loves a lot of the aspects of financial planning and investment management, but you don't see yourself as that entrepreneur uh, or that more uh, business development person, there are definitely opportunities in our industry where you don't have to go into that commission only where you kill environment and build it all from the ground up. Uh, you can partner up with more senior advisors and do a lot of the day-to-day -day of being a financial advisor without having to worry about uh, the, the business development components to it. One thing I will say is anytime you take security over uh, risk, the reward tends to be uh, less appealing. And so you know, we do that with clients all the time. You can't, you can't make 20% on investment if you're not willing to lose 20% on investment. Uh, you know, and I think in, in your career, it's the same thing. If you look strictly for the most secure position that, that offers 
the most downside protection, what you're likely doing is, is limiting your upside. And that's where, again, I would encourage anybody that's in your early 20s, uh, you know, whether you've, you've you're still in school, you've recently graduated, even if you're a little bit older than that, this is the time in your life to take on risks. This is the time to look for the, the what's going to give you the best opportunity for where you're going to be 10, 20 years from now, as opposed to what's going to be the best, uh, best job six months in or 10 months in or 12 months in, because that's not really what your career is about. Career is about thinking of, uh, you know, a couple chapters ahead. Uh, and that's where I, I would just encourage others to, to take on that risk and, and uh, you know, don't be afraid of failing early on because uh, at the end of the day, the, the best time to fail is when you have minimal responsibilities. Well, Ryan, I think on that note, I want to thank you for the time and the insight and the expertise. Um, your journey is a inspiring one, and it seems like you're, you're doing tremendously well, and I anticipate you doing so moving forward. But I love hearing about the skills, both on and off the field that you learned at Wesleyan and how you were able to parlay that into your uh, professional and business success. So thank you again for the time and all the insight and wisdom. And I always kind of ask at the end, is it okay if folks who um, maybe if they're on the hockey team or a recent grad who's interested in being in your industry and space, is it okay if they were to, to reach out directly and um, you know, garner some of your insight advice as well? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, that, that's again, you know, I mentioned before people are people who have experienced a level of success are comfortable paying it forward and they want to help others. And I, I definitely am that person that I love mentoring. I love, uh, you know, providing some of that coaching. And so, uh, yeah, anybody in it, it doesn't have to be a hockey player, anybody that, uh, that, that would just love to have some career advice or, or, you know, bounce some ideas off of, of one another, uh, certainly don't hesitate to reach out. And I know, uh, a decent number of people in the industry. So a lot of times when I have these conversations, I can at least direct you to a couple of people that you can also talk to, to continue to learn and, and better understand uh, what might be right for you in, in uh, your career endeavors. Great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks so much.